Well, good morning. It's so great to be in the house of the Lord and to be able to share with everyone this morning. And the message I felt to share was about one of my one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Well, he's not a character. He's a hero, a hero of faith for sure. Not mentioned very often, but what is mentioned about him is quite profound. And that is uh, the man called Caleb. The man called Caleb. And I want to start by reading from Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land where he went and his seed shall possess it. Caleb was part of Israel when they originally left Egypt. And he was one of two men who were able to make it through all of their journeys and wanderings through the wilderness and actually enter into the promised land. Only two men who went from Egypt all the way through to the promised land. And the other one was not Moses, as we all know. It was Caleb and Joshua. And that's a pretty significant thing that only two people in the entire nation actually, because of Many things that happened along the way. They failed several tests. Ultimately, with uh, the test at Kadesh Barnea, where Caleb and Joshua kind of come to prominence. And they're sent to spy out the land. There's 12 spies. We all know this from Sunday school. There's 12 spies that were sent in, and 10 of them says, we can't go. They're too big. They're too strong. There's giants, etc., etc. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two who stood against the majority and said, no, we can go. God said we can go and he will give us the victory. And these two men stood up against the entire nation. And the nation, of course, prevailed. The popular opinion failed, which was not the right opinion. Big surprise, the multitude and the majority is not always correct. In this case, that is exactly true. The majority was not correct. God says, okay, because you choose not to, because you are afraid, now you can't go. And then uh, he says, a whole generation is going to die off. The next generation is going to go in. What happens? The next day they said, no, no, let's try it. They go in and they get beat up and they get lost and they lose. So they're journeying through the wilderness. As we go through, we see a lands of giants, lands of battles, and it was all theirs for the taking if they just believed the Lord and did what he said. However, Israel chose to wander through the wilderness. There were th if you read through the journey of Israel that, that our precious Dr. Bailey wrote many, many moons ago, there's 33 different kings and trials they face along the way. It wasn't just Kadesh Barnea. Whoa, we had one test and we blew it. No, you had 10 or 20 or 30 tests along the way that you failed also. And yet there were these two men, Caleb and Joshua, who chose to enter in and to pay the price and to do what was necessary to enter in to the promised land. And we know a lot about Joshua. There's a lot written about him, but there's a few things I want to focus on with Caleb this morning. 
He was one who didn't window shop. He didn't window shop the promises of God. He didn't look through and say, oh, see that? That looks really cool. I like that. And then just walk away. He says, no, I want that. God says I can have it. And they went in and he paid the price for it. Amen. All right? No window shopping with the promises of God. We need to appropriate them. Amen. Say, this is mine. This is what God has given me. The other, the, another great thing, just in, in the matter of wrapping up introductions here, he, by the time he enters in to the promised land, he's not a young man anymore. He's 85 years old. I think that's older than everybody here. I, I don't know. <laughs> he's 85 years old. And yet, he says, I'm, I'm still willing to pay the price. I'm just as strong now for battle as I was then. He says, you give me that mountain, and I will take it. And he enters in with all that he has. He doesn't get overcome by his age or any other impediment. He says, that is the Lord's promise for me, and I will fight for it. I don't care how old I am or how old I feel. It's mine, and I will take it. All right? So that's Caleb, willing to pay the price. But he, the first verse we read, he has a different spirit from other people. He has another spirit. He follows me fully. Follows me fully. So we're going to get into this this morning. Let's turn to Joshua. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 14. We're going to read verses 6 through 9. And then we'll branch out and we'll look at a few things. The children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land wherein you your feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord. So now fast forward 40 years from Kadesh Barnea, 38 technically, but to Kadesh Barnea, where they've entered into the promised land. They've won the victory, and they're beginning to parcel out the land. And, and Caleb's reminding Joshua, although Joshua was there too, and he was the other guy, says, remember, remember what God told Moses? When you and I, remember that day? It was probably hard to forget that day, I would imagine. Remember what happened here? And I want to, I broke this up into three parts. First of all, Caleb's commitment. Caleb's commitment, Caleb's confidence, Caleb's courage, finally Caleb's conquest. So four parts, actually. Caleb's commitment, Caleb's confidence, Caleb's courage, and Caleb's conquest. First, Caleb's commitment. Caleb gave his all to the Lord. It says, I think six times, in the Old Testament, referring to Caleb, that he wholly followed the Lord. We read it in verse 8. We read it in verse 9. It's also 
in Joshua 6, verse 14, the phrase, because he wholly followed the Lord his God. <clears throat> that phrase, excuse me, that phrase, wholly followed the Lord, when I looked it up in the original Hebrew language, it's actually a hunting term, believe it or not. They used in hunting. Back then, you weren't able to sit behind a rifle with a high-powered scope and shoot the thing that you were hunting from two, three hundred yards away. They had to stalk their prey in the woods, and they had to get close enough to hit it with a spear or a rock or a knife. So they had to stalk their prey through the woods, and they had to close, it refers to closing the gap between that which you are hunting and yourself so that you could get within a, a distance close enough to, to kill it. But, the, but applying that to the Lord, he wholly follows the Lord. He closes the gap to keep the distance between him and the Lord as small as possible. See, when you're going to take down a bear or something that in return could kill you, you want to make sure you're close, and you're only going to do it with a sharpened stick. You want to be sure that you're as close as possible to take that thing down as quickly and efficiently as possible for your own safety and well-being, right? As well as other things. But here, when it's applied to Caleb saying he wholly followed the Lord, he's closing the gap. He's keeping that gap between him and the Lord as small as possible. What a great thought. It's a phrase, as I said, used by hunters, but here when we apply it to the Lord, it's, Lord, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. I want to keep that gap small. We see that in different characters throughout the Bible as well. David said, I don't want to live anywhere else. Where did he want to live? I want to be in your house, in your presence. I want to live with you. Not, I don't want to live in your neighborhood or in the same city or around the corner. He says, no, no, I want to, I want to live in your house and dwell in your presence. That's the same type of attitude. Every inch, every ounce, every fiber of Caleb's being was dedicated to following the Lord. We can't even hold back a little bit here. And he didn't. And it's evidenced by his testimony when he was spying out the land with Joshua. And he stood up against the multitudes, at this time probably more than a million people. And he was two. Now I'm sure Moses believed it as well, but the two stood up against everyone. What an amazing thought. I'm reminded of Herman Cortez in 1519. When he arrives on the shores of the new world and he determines that he's coming into this great empire, you know, we know to be the Aztecs. He didn't know what was happening. And they're a, a warrior tribe. They're, they're, it, it was trouble. It was conquest for them. And rather than turn back in a sign of tremendous commitment, he says, we're not going to give up, and there's going to be no retreat. In fact, we're going to burn our ships so that we can't go back home. They destroyed their exit strategy and says, we're staying here. This is where we're supposed to be. We're either going to win 
or we're going to die trying. What an amazing thing. Caleb, the same thing. I'm all in. I'm either going to win or I'm going to die trying. We'll see it at the end when he goes up to his mountain. He says, I'm either going to win or I'm going to die trying. Two years later, we know Cortez ends up winning his battle. Too many Christians, I think, and I've been guilty of this even myself, where you think of some sort of escape strategy or exit plan of some sort where you could fall back on your potentially your old ways and into your old life. But in reality, that's, ha- that's exactly what being half-hearted or faint-hearted, as the Bible calls it, that's what that is. You're not wholly sold out. We have to burn every bridge that leads to any escape back to our old lives and set our minds completely on conquering what God has for us to conquer and inheriting what he has for us. There is no exit strategy, right? It's only him, right? That was Caleb's attitude, and that's what I love about this. There was no double-mindedness in him. As we know, a double-minded person is unstable. Unstable is water, which kind of just goes wherever without any kind of boundaries. And really, truly, it's the only way to win. Satan will prey on a double-minded person quickly and will find a way to get them to be a little wishy-washy, and eventually there's compromise. I'm reminded of an old story, and I I can't exactly verify this um, with a reference but there's a story of a church in a nation that is anti-Christian and does not allow people to congregate in a church service. And there was a people there who were having a secret church, and they were meeting. And next thing you know, the police come in and say, everyone here who is going to stay and be in this church, we're going to kill. And then a good majority of the people left. And there was just a small people left only to discover that the people who were dressed as police were actually the leaders of the church. It says, we do this so we know who is actually fully committed and who will leave when the trouble comes because that was a life and death situation for them. So half-hearted people, they're out the door right away. But those who are fully committed, it says, all right, well, if we die, we die. But this is where we're supposed to be. What an amazing thought. That was a Caleb type of attitude. Caleb's Caleb's commitment to following the Lord, to keep that gap as close, as small as possible. Anything less will keep us from reaching whatever our inheritance may be. Keep that gap small. James 4 verse 8 says, Draw nigh to God. And he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. See, the great thing about it, unlike the hunting example, the prey is always trying to get away. Whereas God says, if you draw nigh to me, I'm going to draw nigh to you. He wants to be with us. He wants to be close to us. And as we draw nigh to him, he will draw nigh to us. Next, Caleb's confidence. So we talked about Caleb's commitment. Now we talk about Caleb's confidence. 
Read verses 10 through 12. This is Joshua 14. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, these 40 and five years, even since the Lord spoke this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day 85 years old. As yet I am strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. And my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the Lord spake in that day. For you heard it in that day, how the Anakims were there, and the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. He's reminding him again, you remember, the Lord said, this is mine even though the giants are there. And if the Lord's with me today like he was then, I'll be able to drive them out. He says, yes, I'm 85 years old. We'll say 85 years young, because this was not the attitude of an old, decrepit person. He says, get me that mountain. I want it. It's mine. His confidence. He believed God's word. He believed what God said, and he held on to it for 40 years. That's a long time to hold on to a promise of God and not yet see it fulfilled. Knowing that everyone in a, gener a certain generation is going to pass away before you have a chance to enter in. Imagine 40 years walking around with these people. It would be very easy to say, yeah, you guys are the reason I'm here. I could be over there right now if you guys would have just listened to me. It'd be very easy to do. Yeah, this is your fault. I was right. Look at this. Look at this mess we're all in. But no, he held on to the promise of God. One day I'm going to get there. And that kept him, it's almost like it kept him young spiritually, even, and, 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 and his, even though his physical body might have been old, you could, you could feel the, the fire still in him through his words. I'm as strong today as I was then. And it was because every, the word of the Lord kept him. What the Lord spoke kept him, kept him strong. And he says, now give me what is mine. He remembered these words and probably rehearsed them many, many times over 38 years or 40 years. He was looking for that mountain and said, when he finally saw it, he says, give it to me, it's mine. What a great thing. He was confident because he had a word from the Lord. And what do we know that as? We know that as faith. That is faith. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, the rhema word of God. This is definition of a rhema word of God for, for Caleb. This is your land. This is your hill or your mountain. That is yours. That's a rhema word. And he had faith. And he held on to it. And it kept him strong. It kept him. It sustained him throughout the wandering. It kept him in a good attitude, in a right spirit, because he knew one day, somehow, it was going to happen. He didn't know when or where. But he knew that it would happen because God said it would. Amen. Caleb knew that God had given it to him, so he claimed it. This is true faith. Faith is not just positive thinking. 
Faith is not optimism. Faith is not looking on the bright side. Faith is simply acting on what God says. God said it, I will do it. Very simple. It's more than just saying that you believe, it's acting on what you believe, right? Think about, and we've shared this many times, George Mueller in his orphanages in England. No food on the table, nothing to feed the children. And he says, let's sit down and pray and give thanks for the meal that God's going to provide. God said we're supposed to do this and he'll provide for us, so therefore he will. That's real faith. That's acting on what God said he will do. Let's sit down and we're going to give thanks for the meal that God's going to provide, even though there was absolutely nothing in their orphanage to feed. They sit down, they pray on the door. Someone says, oh, my milk carton, my milk cart just overturned. This is all going to go bad. Can we give it to you? Yeah, we'll take it. Then there's food and, and, and things that are offered at the door. That's faith, acting on what God said he will do. <clears throat> so he had confidence because he had faith. He says, I will take it. I will win. I know I will because God said I would. Now he has courage. He had things to overcome, Caleb did. And it started at Kadesh Barnea. He had courage. He had three things to overcome. He had to overcome, I'm trying to keep this, overcome grasshoppers. He had to overcome giants. And he had to overcome gray hairs. First of all, grasshoppers. Numbers 13.33. For Caleb to claim what God had promised, he had to go against the majority. Numbers 13.33, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which, came of, who, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. See, we're just like grasshoppers before these giant people. Caleb and Joshua had to overcome these little grasshoppers who were all against them, saying, no, we can't go. We're all going to die. And he had to stand <clears throat> for what was right, even though the tremendous majority was against them. Right? How many times was Jesus standing alone with his disciples against a majority? Think of John 6, where he's got multitudes following him, and then he starts talking about what true discipleship means, which means feeding and eating on his word and on his and and taking his life within us and taking up his our cross and following him and so forth. And they all say, Woo, this is a hard thing you've just said. Jesus says, I know. <laughs> and from that point on, they went and many followed him no more. What did Jesus do? Did he say, no, no, come back, come back. We can talk this out. No, we can figure this out. Let us reason together, brothers. Is that what he did? No. He stood there, and then he looked at his disciples and says, are you going to go too? Because this is the real deal. This is what this means. Are you guys going to go too? He didn't cater or 
give in to the majority. He says, no, this is the right thing to do. Caleb, the same way. And Peter, speaking for the disciples, says, Lord, where, where else are we going to go? You're the only one who has the words of life, right? Their reaction. There are, there are going to be many who say this is impossible. This is a hard thing, what you say. And surely in the natural, seeing giants would have triggered all kinds of emotions, fears, trembling, and so forth. But Caleb says, it's nothing. God says we can win, so we're going to. Was he scared? I'm sure he was scared. It would be insane to think that he wasn't. When you see a nine foot or 10 foot or however big they were, we think Goliath would have been over nine feet and he was from this. That's a big person to deal with. <laughs> of course you were scared, but God said we will win. So we're going to win. That's just how it works. So he had to overcome grasshoppers. Now he had to overcome giants. Numbers 14, 8 through 9 says, If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. All of us have giants in our lives. All of us have giants in our lives, don't we? <clears throat> Discouragement, finances, sickness, family troubles, distress, doubt, fear. These can all be giants in our lives. We can't defeat them by ourselves. We have two options. We have two options when faced with a giant. There's really only two is to look at how small we are compared to them, which is an outlook of fear. Oh, look how big this person is. Oh, my goodness. I'm never going to be able to do this. That's fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, We're not given to a spirit of fear, but the power of love and of a sound mind. So that's option number one. Obviously, we don't want to do that. Look at how big this thing is compared to how small that I am. Option two is to look at how small that giant is compared to how big our God is, right? Yeah, sure, that's a 10-foot man in front of me with a sword that weighs more than my house. That's a big deal. This, he's huge, but God is so much bigger than that giant. This is looking up in faith. God said we're going to win, so we will win. We have many verses that remind, of the, remind us of these, these the truths. Philippians 4.13, of course, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Ephesians 3.20, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I can ask and I can think of a lot. And it says he's able to do more exceedingly abundantly than I can even fathom or think or ask. That's amazing. So this giant is nothing for God. Amen? Not only that, fighting a giant, what did, what did Caleb say? And, and he says, they are bread for us. It's food for us. Overcoming a giant is food for us. Not in a cannibalistic way, but in a way of 
it feeds our spirit. It feeds our confidence. It feeds our, our faith even more. Yeah, that's right. We did overcome those giants, didn't we? Look at what we did. And, and it's like a, a, a memory. Uh, it stocks up the memory banks of, with previous experience and says, oh, yeah, I did kill that giant, didn't I? God helped me. How many times did David reference beating Goliath in battle? How many times was it referenced about David's battle with Goliath in his, in his future reign? It was, a, it was food for him. It, it caught, gave him confidence. It gave him strength. He was able to go in front of Goliath because he already killed a bear. He had already killed a lion with his, with his two hands and his, and his slingshot. Thank you. We've got the hunter helping me out over here. He had food killing that. I mean, a bear is, is a, big, a big animal. A lion is a very large animal. He already had that memory bank full. He says, I've already killed a bear. I've killed a lion. This giant is nothing in front of my God, right? We have that. They are bread for us. Now, how do we overcome the giants? There's really only one way. It's to look, like I said, at how small they are compared to our God. This reminded me of an experience, and I think I've shared this illustration before, but at the 1992 Olympic Games in Barcelona, there was a British sprinter named Derek Redman who was competing in the 400-meter race, which is one lap around the track. And he's in, I believe, uh, a qualifying heat. And about 150 yards into the 400-meter race, he blows his hamstring. Goes, You see him. You could see the video. Google it when you get home. He falls right to the ground. And the whole crowd kind of goes silent, and you think, oh, man, well, he's finished. And yet he gets up, and he tries to limp. And you could see the agony on his face. I mean, it's, it's horrible. He must have been in excruciating pain. And he's trying to limp, but he's got 250 meters to go. It's, almost, it's more than halfway around the track. And you think, there's no way this guy's going to make it, but he wants to finish. And then out of nowhere, you see somebody come up and put their arm around him and help him across. And it's a very touching scene. And you see the tenacity in him. He's like, this is the Olympics. You could see the, the never quitting wanting to win or wanting to finish this race. And it even it adds more to it when you find out that the man who came out and put his arm around him was his, was his father. He says, I'm not going to let my boy go through this alone. Puts his arm around him, and they limp across the finish line together. It's so moving. It, I mean, you tear up just thinking about it. It's like this guy... But it's so much more significant because it was his father who came out. And father and son crossed the finish line together. And when we're facing life's giants, and we think, look at how big this thing is. But you say, Father, it's so small compared to you. And he comes out and he puts his arm around us and says, let's beat this thing together. Right? What an amazing thought of finishing the race coming out of the wilderness, leaning on our beloved, right? With the battles that have been overcome, that we have won. So he overcomes the grasshoppers, he overcomes the giants, finally he overcomes gray hairs. Now, verses Joshua 14, 10 through 11. I know we're all going to appreciate this one because we all have gray hairs. 
Joshua 14, 10 through 11. Now behold, the Lord has kept me alive these 40 and five years, even since the Lord spake his word unto me. While the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, now, lo, I am this day 85 years old, and I am as strong this day as I was in that day. As my strength was then, even so is it now for work, both to go out and to come in. What does this tell us? Are we, are we going to just somehow start to live longer and prolong our strength? But no, I don't think so. I think what it tells us is when God gives us a promise, he gives us the strength to accomplish that thing. He gives us the strength to in inherit it. He will give us the strength to see its fulfillment. We must never count ourselves out of it or never count God out of it. True faith looks beyond these circumstances, such as age and other things, and sees the provision of the Almighty God. I remember Pastor Bailey sharing, and I'm sure we've all heard this, when he had to care for his wife for so many years. And he wasn't a young man then, even. And he said he knew that it was supernatural strength. The Lord was giving him strength. And the day that she passed, and the day that after they went through the, the funeral and everything else, he said he was walking through, I don't know if it was a hotel room or something, and he literally felt the strength leave. Literally felt the supernatural strength leave because he didn't need it. Anymore, God gave him the strength, and then when he didn't need it, he didn't. He said he literally felt it like fall off of him. Do you guys remember that story? Anyway, God gives us what we need to accomplish what He's asked us to do. It really just comes down to three simple letters: Y E S. Yes, I'll do what you ask, and then He gives us the strength to do it. So, Caleb. Confident, committed, he had tremendous courage, and now his conquest, wrapping up. Joshua 14, 13 through 14, Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, the Mount Hebron, for his inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb unto this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel." He experienced what God has promised. He climbed the mountain and he defeated the giants and he claimed his possession. Now, just because the, there's more to this story and we're going to cut it because of time, but Joshua says, yes, that's yours. But it's not like he walked up there to the inheritance of the, to the inhabitants of that mountain and says, God gave this to me, y'all got to leave. No, he had to go up there and he had to fight. He had to fight a battle. Him and, and several others went, who went with him and they drove out the inhabitants of that mountain and took it for his inheritance and all that, that was there. And we know, of course, the name Hebron means fellowship. He quit. He would not quit until he had attained everything the Lord had given him. This really should be our battle cry. And we remember the song, I will never give up. Never, ever, ever give up. That's based off of, I'm sure, the, the famous Winston Churchill speech, never give up, never give up, never give up. And I, I listened to it along <clears throat> a, a different, a similar speech, not the, that exact one, but we'll fight him in the trenches, we'll fight him in the air, you know, I'm, I don't have it off the top of my head, but meaning we'll, we'll go anywhere. We're going to win this thing, and we're not going to stop until we either win or we die trying, right? 
So where are we on our walk? Where are we in relation to the inheritance that God has promised us? Are we window shopping and saying, oh, someday that would be really nice to have? Maybe, maybe one day that'll be great. Or are we saying, no, that's mine. That's mine. It might not be the time right now, but that's going to be mine. Lord, I want to pay the price to do that. You have to pay the price. Otherwise, you'll never get it right. So reminding us all this morning of this wonderful man, Caleb, his commitment, his confidence, his courage, his conquest, let us all learn from this man. Amen? Say, Lord, give us our inheritance. Help us to pay the price. Give us the strength. And even though we have some gray hairs amongst us, it's nothing compared to what the Lord can do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for this word this morning. We thank you for this wonderful man, Caleb, and the example that he is for us. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you would burn a Burn in us afresh a desire to accomplish all that you have for us. Lord, give us the grace, give us the, the strength to endure to the end so we can see that promise that you have promised us, fulfilled in our own lives and in this land. Lord, we thank you, we bless you, and we just ask your blessing upon each and every one as we go our separate ways. Of course, also bless Pastor Daniel and Sarah as they are traveling home to us. We look forward to you, a wonderful testimony of all that you've done in their lives and Lord, we ask that you would give us a great week of possessing all that you would have for us this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time. All right.